You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Let's now open Holy Scripture to our readings for this morning, the readings that come in connection with Lord's Day 46. First of all, an Old Testament reading from Psalm 145. A psalm of praise of David. I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. They will speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They will tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They will celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All you have made will praise you, O Lord. They will tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might so that all men may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is faithful to all his promises and loving toward all he has made. The Lord upholds all those who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways, loving toward all he has made. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. Now we turn to our New Testament reading, Matthew chapter 7. Here in Matthew 7, of course, we have the words of our Lord Jesus Christ during the Sermon on the Mount. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite! First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. 
And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you, then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority, and not as their teachers of the law. Thus far the reading of God's word, and may God bless it for us. Let's now read together from Lord's Day 46 of the Heidelberg Catechism. We'll be looking at this in the sermon this morning. Lord's Day 46, you can find that on page 526. Why has Christ commanded us to address God as our Father? To awaken in us at the very beginning of our prayer that childlike reverence and trust toward God which should be basic to our prayer. God has become our Father through Christ and will much less deny us what we ask of Him in faith than our fathers would refuse us earthly things. Why is there added, Who art in heaven? These words teach us not to think of God's heavenly majesty in an earthly manner and to expect from his almighty power all things we need for body and soul. 
beloved congregation of Christ. With many things in our lives, it's important to make a good start. In many instances, a good start is necessary, it's critical, if you want to see a good result come from something. Take just the example of math. If you have a, a math equation and you make a mistake right at the very beginning, usually your final answer will also be wrong. Now that can seriously damage your math mark if you're taking a math course, but if your daily work depends on doing math equations properly, there can be more costly consequences. You think back a couple of years ago when NASA lost a space probe because NASA engineers were, were using the imperial system of measurements while the engineers who designed and programmed the space probe, they had used the metric system. Making a good start is critical in those kinds of situations. It's the same with prayer. We learned last week that prayer is the most important part of our thankfulness. So then it's to be expected that beginning the most important part of our thankfulness should receive careful attention. In fact, if we don't begin our prayers properly, it may indicate that there's a problem in our relationship with God. It's very important then that we listen to the teaching of the Lord Jesus about the beginning of our prayer. He teaches us to begin our prayers with a proper way of looking at God, a proper attitude. So that's the theme for this morning's sermon. We begin our prayers by expressing a proper way of looking at God. And we'll see a comparison between earthly fathers and a heavenly father, and then also earthly majesty and heavenly majesty. So first of all, that comparison between earthly fathers and a heavenly father. A proper way of looking at God begins with an understanding of who he is in relation to us. On the one hand, he's far exalted above us as a, as a holy God. On the other hand, he's also near to us as a loving father. Now it's that second thing, his loving nearness, that we focus on first when the Lord Jesus taught us to address God as our father. Now this whole notion of God being the father of his people, that receives special emphasis in the New Testament. In fact, God is called father 189 times in, in the Gospels alone. However, this notion is also found in the Old Testament. God first introduced himself explicitly as a father in Exodus chapter 4. In verse 22, Then say to Pharaoh, This is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son, and I told you, let my son go, so he may worship me. Now we find this concept of God as Father repeated several times elsewhere in the Old Testament. But it's in the New Testament that this idea of being God, as God being our Father, it's, the, it's where it really blooms. Because it's there that the Son of God appears on earth. And in His teaching, in the teaching of the Lord Jesus, God is repeatedly referred to not only as His Father, but also as our Father. Now one of the most powerful passages in that connection is what we read 
from Matthew 7. In fact, the, the second half of answer 120 from the Catechism is basically a paraphrase of Matthew 7, 9 to 11. Comparison is made there between earthly fathers and a heavenly father. The Lord Jesus used a, a special kind of argument to make a point. The argument is from something lesser to something greater. In this case, it's about human fathers who are evil, giving good gifts to their children. Now, the Lord Jesus says, if they would do such a thing, being evil, then why wouldn't our good Father in heaven also give good gifts to those who are his children in Christ? We only need to approach him in prayer, believing Believing, having faith that he not only has the power, but also the will in his heart to give us what we ask. So our prayers begin with faith in our Heavenly Father. Someone far greater, far more loving than any earthly father could be. Now we could extend this comparison of the Lord Jesus to help us see more clearly who our Father in heaven is and what he's like. Now, extending the comparison will help us to develop a deeper childlike reverence and trust, the thing which the Catechism says should be basic to our prayers. So let's compare a few points, a few points in which we can see the, the greatness of our Heavenly Father. I don't think I, I have to dwell on this point, but you know it too. The, the lives of earthly fathers are filled with many sins and weaknesses. Earthly fathers can sometimes neglect their children. Life gets very busy. Sometimes children get ignored. For various reasons, earthly fathers can be physically or emotionally unavailable for their children. But our Heavenly Father so completely different. Consider what Moses says about him in, in Deuteronomy 31, verse 8. He said there, The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. We have a heavenly Father who never neglects us. We have a heavenly Father who is never unavailable for us. And think of what we learn about him in Psalm 103, verse 8. The psalm we, we sang a few moments ago. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. How unlike human fathers. Human fathers can sometimes, I don't know, these are worst case scenarios, but it happens. Human fathers can sometimes be physically or verbally abusive. A few human fathers have even been abusive in, in other, more terrible ways. But our Heavenly Father is never like that. The Heavenly Father will never abuse us. Now I know that can be tough to accept if we have had earthly fathers who, who've hurt us. And if that's the case, then we need all the more to focus our hearts on those Scripture passages which teach us, which reveal to us God's love, His compassion as a true father. Sometimes earthly fathers impose certain conditions on their children. They can become legalistic or 
performance-oriented. You've got to do this in order to measure up. They might not say it with their words, but with their expectations, they say things like, I'll love you if, or I'll love you when, or I'll love you because. God's not like that. He is so refreshingly different. Listen to what he says in Hosea 14.4. I will heal their waywardness and love them freely. In Jeremiah 31, verse 3, we read these beautiful words, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with loving kindness. So there's love from our Father, our Heavenly Father. And love also compels our Heavenly Father to discipline. To discipline us. Sometimes earthly fathers fail in this respect too. Sometimes earthly fathers become overly permissive. They allow their children to get away with way too much. And they think that somehow allowing their children to do that, that somehow that's an expression of love. Well, again, our Heavenly Father, completely different. Proverbs 3 verse 12 says, The Lord disciplines those He loves. That passage is so important that it gets repeated in the New Testament at least twice. The Lord disciplines those He loves. The Lord cares for His children. And so He keeps them straight with discipline. And then, not just for a a few years like, like earthly fathers do with their children... You know, earthly children, they, they, they grow up and they move out of the house and parents don't discipline them anymore. But with our Heavenly Father, it's different. He disciplines His children for the whole course of their lives. Now we can make many more comparisons and, and contrasts, but I, I think it should be clear. God represents the epitome of fatherhood. Everything that fatherhood can and should be, is bound up in Him and in His relationship to His people. As we look into His Word, we see His perfections. We see all these wonderful things that He is. And we're drawn into a proper frame of mind for prayer. As we look at the way He relates to us in our daily lives, we're drawn into that childlike reverence and trust toward God, which should be basic to our prayer. So the Lord teaches us to pray, Our Father. Now, does that mean that we're not allowed to use any other form of address for God? Well, if we insisted on that, we would be missing a couple of important points. First of all, like we heard last week, the Lord's Prayer is a model. It teaches us some basic principles about prayer. And the principle we derive from the Lord teaching us to start with our Father is that we have to begin with the right attitude towards God. The attitude of faith of childlike reverence and trust. And that attitude, that can be expressed with other forms of address at the beginning of our prayers. And that brings us to the second thing we would miss if we would insist that we always have to have our Father. And the second thing is that the Scriptures themselves give us examples of many prayers where believers do not address God as Father. Though their attitude 
Their attitude definitely reflects that childlike reverence and trust taught by the Lord Jesus. We'll take just one example. Acts 4.24. There we have the people of God praying after Peter and John had been released from prison. They began their prayer in this way. Sovereign Lord, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Sovereign Lord, not our Father. So we also, we have the freedom to address God in a variety of ways. So long as the basic principle, the basic attitude is in place. Christ is not concerned, first of all, with you using the exact words of the Lord's Prayer every time you pray. He wants you to have the right attitude, the outlook of faith, which is basic to thankfulness and therefore also basic to prayer. That attitude looks to God as our Father, but also to Him as our Heavenly Father. Well, let's look at that more closely in our second point, as we compare earthly majesty and heavenly majesty. So the beginning of the Lord's Prayer, like I said, first of all teaches us to see God as the one who is near, the the one who is in a a father-child relationship with us. Theologically, we could say that this teaches us to see God's imminence. Now, imminence, that word is imminence with an A after the two M's. That's not the word imminence. Like when something is imminent, it's about to happen. It's a different word. Imminence, with an A after the two M's, is the Bible teaching that God is near, that God is involved with our lives. So there's that, imminence. But there's also the Bible teaching of God's transcendence. Transcendence means that God is highly exalted above us. When we say that God is transcendent, we mean that He has heavenly glory and majesty which transcends, which goes beyond our creatureliness. The Lord Jesus teaches us to see God's transcendence when He adds the words, who is in heaven. The Catechism explains these words to mean that we should not think of God's heavenly majesty in an earthly way. This works with the idea that we do have earthly majesty. There are earthly kings and queens and and other authorities who, who have a form of majesty. But this is something entirely different from the majesty that God has. I think this becomes clear when we take a look at Psalm 145. The key thing here is to remember who wrote this psalm. Title tells us that it was David, and we have no reason to doubt it. Now remember, David was not just any person in Israel. David was the king of Israel. So what we have here in Psalm 145 is an earthly king praising the heavenly king. Earthly majesty bowing before heavenly majesty. The first verse of Psalm 145 immediately draws praise to God the King. And then verse 3 goes on to explain that this King is worthy of praise. And then the verses that follow explain why. It's clear that this heavenly King is unlike any other King. 
David points to seven things which set him apart as completely different. And we can reflect on those seven things too, and it can help us get into a proper frame of mind for approaching our Father. Now, I'm going to go through these seven things. And to make it more meaningful, it would be good for you to have your Bible open in front of you to Psalm 145. So you can see what I'm talking about. So seven things. The first thing that sets the heavenly king apart is the character and the quantity of his actions. We find those things mentioned in verse 4 and following. Verse 4 says that one generation will commend his works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. In verse 5, David says that he will meditate on God's wonderful works. Verse 6 has him speaking about God's awesome works, proclaiming his great deeds. Later, and if you go ahead to verse 12, it says, so that all men may know of your mighty acts. Now notice here for a minute, notice the variety of adjectives, of descriptive words that are used to describe the things that God does. We have mighty, wonderful, awesome, great. No earthly majesty can compare. David doesn't actually mention what those works are. But with the full revelation of God before us, we don't need them mentioned. We know about the exodus from Egypt. We know about how God defeated the enemies of his people. How he did that in the, in the times of the judges. How he did that during the time of the kings. And looking further ahead, we know about God's mighty deeds in the redemptive work of our Savior, Jesus Christ. There is no majesty like the heavenly majesty of our Father, and we see that in the character and quantity of his actions. That's the first thing. The second thing is God's greatness. Verse 3, Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. God is great like no one else. In fact, you could plumb the depth of God's greatness. You could think about it forever, and you would never reach an end. The greatness of earthly kings pales in comparison with the heavenly king. Third thing is his goodness. Verse 7, they will celebrate your abundant goodness. Now, earthly kings and queens, they're human like, like the rest of us. They, they get moody and irritable. They're inconsistent in their goodness. Earthly kings are not always overflowing with goodness towards their subjects. But the king of heaven... He is. And that's reason to celebrate. So we have his actions, his greatness, and his goodness. The fourth thing that David draws our attention to is his righteousness. That's also in verse 7. They will joyfully sing of your righteousness. It's also later in the psalm, in verse 17. The Lord is righteous in all his ways. Now, when the Bible talks about God's righteousness, it refers to his covenant loyalty. That means his faithfulness to those with whom he's in a relationship. He never lets them down. He never fails to keep his promises. 
kings and queens, earthly rulers, they're fickle. They'll change their minds from one day to the next. They may even betray those who trust them. The heavenly king will never do any such thing. You can depend on him. You can put yourself in his hands, trusting him completely. Fifth of all, we have God's eternal rule. Verse 13 says, Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. David's kingdom came to an end. The rule of Queen Elizabeth will one day come to an end. But the rule of our Father in heaven will never end. It has always been there, always will be there. Next, there's God's sovereign power. Throughout this psalm, we read of a God who's in control of everything. He does mighty acts. He's able to provide for those in need. Verse 19 says that he fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. Earthly kings, they might have good intentions, but they don't always have the power. They don't always have the means at their disposal to carry out their good intentions. Totally different with God. And that ties into the last thing where we see a great difference between earthly majesty and heavenly majesty. It's his intimate care for those he rules, for those who look up to him for compassion. I just mentioned verse 19, but there's also verse 18. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. What earthly monarch is like that? You know, if you're having a a rough time in your life, you're not going to be getting a card from Queen Elizabeth. She doesn't care if you've lost a loved one. She's not going to be there for you when you're depressed. If you're struggling with an addiction, she's not going to be alongside you to put her arm around you and encourage you. She'll never hear about it if you lose your job. God is so different. We have a king who's highly exalted, but at the same time, intimately involved with our lives, brothers and sisters. And this is good news for all of us. And the realization of this good news, appreciating it, that can do a lot for our prayer life. When we begin to pray with the realization that we have a king who is also a father to us, That teaches us to depend on him in richer and and deeper ways. He has the power, but he also has the love for us. We can truly expect from his almighty power all things we need for body and soul. And again, we don't have to have these exact words in every prayer we pray. The important thing is that the principle or the attitude is there in our lives. This realization of God as our Father in heaven, it has to be the blood flowing through the body of our prayers. You know, it's fatal for you not to have blood flowing through your body. And so it is with prayer. We need the realization flowing through our prayers, through our whole spiritual life, our whole life, that God is our Father in heaven that he is the highly exalted one who is yet intimately involved with and concerned about every aspect, every little detail of our lives, even the most mundane things in our existence, get his attention. 
His care extends to every little corner of our being. By now it should be clear that the teachings we find here in Lord's Day 46, taken from the scriptures, they're practical, they're relevant to daily life as a Christian. After all, prayer is to be a central part of our lives. And for prayer to be authentic, for it to be meaningful, not just a a kind of a rote thing that you do every day mindlessly, but for it to be authentic and meaningful, we need to be reminded of who it is that we're praying to. When we remember that He is our Father in heaven, then we're reminded of how rich we are, how rich we are in Christ, through Christ, We have this position as as adopted sons of the Almighty Creator. What can you do but say, what a God. What a blessing that we can call Him our Father in heaven. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.